Hello and welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig Diel. I'm the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. Scotland's 20th century oil boom is rapidly turning into a 21st century liability. The climate emergency caused chiefly by the burning of that oil threatens to upend everything about the world that we know. Meanwhile, technology is outpacing the need for that oil more rapidly than we sometimes appreciate. Dumping oil as a fuel while eliminating plastics and moving to a circular economy will remove not less than 90% of the oil sector's customer base. Previous energy transitions have hit Scotland hard. 100,000 Scottish coal workers were thrown in the spoil heap, with some communities still suffering the scars of that. My guest this week is Rosemary Harris from Platform, a campaign group seeking a just transition for oil workers, and who recently published a report with Friends of the Earth Scotland delving into how oil workers themselves want to see that transition play out in front of them. Welcome, Rosemary. Good to have you on the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So who are Platform and what do you do? Uh, so Platform are a is a, it's a climate justice organisation. Uh, charity it's around for uh for it's our 40 year anniversary this year actually um and for as long as it's been around it's been thank you very much uh for as long as it's been around it's been working to end kind of the grip of the oil and gas industry um and yeah so most recently the work that i do is focused on um just transition for the north sea and in particular the oil workers that work offshore there. How did you personally get interested in the, the, the Just Transition and, and the oil campaigning? Um, I think, I mean, this work has been going on, the work on a Just Transition has been going on long before uh, I was ever involved, um, both at Platform and outside of Platform. Um, I've been uh, working in kind of climate and climate adjacent stuff um for about eight years um and a couple of years ago uh decided to kind of move a bit away from the kind of pure climate and found myself really interested in kind of building that like consensus around um what it could be that comes afterwards rather than just pushing for the end of what we already have um and platform we're already doing um, this work with Friends of the Earth Scotland um, around uh, kind of what was going on with the offshore oil and gas workers. They published this report called Offshore, uh, which was a big survey of offshore workers um, about the terms and conditions and the just sort of what it was like working there and the need to and how much they were interested in, in leaving oil and gas and that kind of thing. And I just kind of it really resonated with me. I think that it's difficult to imagine uh the end of oil and gas without the consent of the oil and gas workers but no one was really talking to them um and i feel like that's a really powerful group of people and a really powerful bit of work that needed to be done so was that the main motivation for this this new report our power uh yeah i think that um so both organizations are have been working on phase out and have made very clear that you know we need to phase out oil and gas as rapidly and equitably as possible um but we were uh looking at the landscape and and the the worker movement and the climate movement weren't talking about it really together um and i think that 
where there's an absence of like of workers being asked what they think and being invited to the table you have that gap being filled by industry bodies industry representatives talking about how demands for phase out and demands for the end of oil and gas is an attack on workers and that the climate movement doesn't care about workers um and i i don't think that's true or for the most part i don't think that's true i think that um, and I don't think that, and I, oh, sorry, if you look at things like the offshore report that talk about the conditions that workers are being subjected to in the North Sea, you can see that industry doesn't really care about workers either. They care about profits and people fighting for a just future um, that doesn't include oil and gas have the same fight on their hands against like big vested interests as offshore oil and gas workers. And it felt like there could be work done to bring those people together and to have workers actually lead a transition because we, and I think like, yeah, another big motivation, I guess, is if you look at the the history of failed transitions in the UK, um, you mentioned in the introduction, uh, the phase out of of coal mines. I mean, can we even really call that a phase out? It was just a shutdown. Um, we're still seeing the scars of that across the UK today. And the only way to avoid that is to have the people who are going to be most affected. So the workers and the communities that they come from leading that transition. And that was kind of the motivation behind the report to take a step towards that possible future and, and work with the workers to create a vision for that future. Why have worker voices never been sought this way before? Uh, I think that the, I mean, the government has been progressively legislating to, you know, reduce the influence of trade unions. Um, And so that makes it harder for workers to have their voices heard in any sphere. I think that the government in particular isn't interested in what the workers have to say. I think that they are speaking to industry voices. They're speaking to the likes of OEUK who are representatives of of the energy companies who say that they speak for the workers as well. When if you you can speak to two workers and you'll know that that's not true. Um, And Ultimately, if they speak to industry and they don't speak to workers, then they're not going to hear what's actually going on there. And I think that that's part of why they've never been sought out. I think that we've seen kind of workers getting organized recently over their pay and their terms and conditions. And there have been some strikes, but it needs to go further than that. It needs to be looking at all the people most affected and the communities around them and what they need outside of just being at work um and yeah i think that it's just not in it's not in the government's mind and it's not in the industry's interest to be separating out the workers from the industry like that so can you take us through the report now what what the findings are and what workers are in the sector are actually telling us of what they want in a just transition Sure. So as a quick kind of outline of what we did to get to to where we are now, um, this is the culmination of of, of many years of work. Um, But 
over the last few years, we've done workshops with 34 workers across Newcastle, Aberdeen and Edinburgh. Um, And we did kind of half day workshops with them where we really dug into what they needed out of and they kind of gave us the ideas for like what they thought were the solutions. Uh, We went away and kind of worked up 10 demands from that and took them back to those workers to discuss them and have a look at, you know, what they thought was right, what they thought was wrong, what represented what they said. Those 10 demands then went out to a survey of over a thousand workers um, to get their backing because we wanted to make sure that it actually represented what the workforce wanted. Um, And I think that what really came out of it um, to try and summarize it as much as I can um, was three kind of big themes of uh, issues that workers are facing. So one is kind of the immediate barriers that they face to being able to move into renewables as it is now. Um, And a lot of that is around the actual, the training that's available to them, the pathways that exist to go from fossil fuels to renewables. And also just the fact that there actually aren't enough jobs at the moment because the UK isn't investing in renewables in the way that it needs to be. Um, The second one is kind of, we called our rights and it's looking at making sure that jobs in renewables are good jobs. So they're secure, well-paid and safe jobs because what we're hearing is not only are conditions offshore in the oil and gas sector deteriorating massively, but also those are being transferred over into the renewables sector um, and at times are worse in the renewable sector because they aren't covered by a lot of the collective bargaining agreements that exist still in the oil and gas industry. So that was about kind of restoring strong rank and file unions, having universal rights and wages across the UK continental shelf, because at the moment there are also loopholes that allow migrant workers to be paid well below minimum wage um, when they're working in offshore wind. Um, and just to make sure that, you know, there are safe procedures for workers if they see unsafe practices. Some of the things that we heard from the workers who've been out there were horrifying um, and they don't have the recourse to actually safely report a lot of what happens. And then the final one, which is perhaps the biggest one, is around what we want to see for a new energy system and who benefits from it and and who has control over it. So... That's around public ownership of energy, um, reorganization of the tax system so that the public actually benefits from the energy that is created. Um, And what happens to the communities like Aberdeen, who are currently very reliant on the money and the jobs that come from oil and gas. So I think those are kind of the main findings. But I think what like really comes out from the report, I hope, um, is just the strength of what you can produce when the climate and and labor movements come together. I think that there's this sense sometimes that they're pitted against each other. And actually what comes out of this is that a lot of those interests are the same and we just need to kind of keep pushing on together because this is a huge piece of work that I think will really benefit the climate movement and the labor movement and it's come from the voices of offshore workers so you have your list of demands uh, in this paper um it's been developed with the with with the workers the uk mm-hmm. and the scottish governments are touting what they're doing uh, so far with the just transition how does the 
the actions from the governments stack up to to what the workers are now saying that they want to see? So I think it's probably easier to look at the the government separately because I think that um, the conversations about just transition in Scotland are much further along than conversations about just transition from a UK government point of view in so much as the conversations are happening. Um, So I think that, you know, the Scottish government have, um, or I mean, the outgoing first minister at least, have committed to um, ending oil and gas. Is it ending oil and gas licensing that Nicola Sturgeon? Well, they have... They have a presumption against licensing if it can't meet climate targets, and they have dropped their commitment to draining every last drop from the uh, from the North Sea. But I'm going to ask about ask, ask you about that in a minute. Oh, that's good of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that you know the the Scottish government is making some positive noises about just transition. But I think that looking at some of the um, policies and strategies that are coming out, their commitment to really consulting workers doesn't seem to be there. And I think that that's a real problem. Um, if you look at their re- coming out with the their energy strategy soon, and I think I'd really encourage them to look at this report and consider the recommendations quite strongly. Um, I think there have been concerns about the level to which um, industry voices really drown out any union voices. Um, there's significantly more kind of union rep- uh, industry representation than union representation, um, despite the fact that they're using the language of a just transition. And then when you look at the kind of UK government as a whole, um, there aren't really discussions of a just transition. Um the UK government and UK government policies are so far away from what has come out of this report. And I think that they would probably, they I, I believe that they, in their response to this report uh, in, in, in the Guardian article, they, they didn't recognise uh, suggestions that they're not seeking a fair transition, um, which is interesting. Hmm. Uh I think that I think yeah, I think that the UK government and and both the Conservatives and Labour as kind of the two biggest parties should be really looking at what has come out of this report, what the workers are saying, and really considering their platforms and their positions because it's no longer feasible to say, well, we want to protect jobs, so we're going to keep the oil and gas because the workers themselves are saying that that's not what they want and that's not what they need. I should say that as we're recording this, the UK government has just finished its spring budget. Um, I haven't had time to really read through it yet, but what I have seen is they seem much more focused on carbon capture than on ending oil. Yeah, I I think I've seen that they I saw that they're going to extend the um energy bill support. Um but that's all I've seen so far as well. So, I did mention that that Scottish government policy that they are they have dropped their commitment mm. to draining every last drop from the North Sea. 
But they still project that Scotland will be extracting oil past 2050, when we're supposed to be a net zero country. And they're still supporting new oil rigs through their INTOG programme, Innovative uh, um, Oil and Gas, which includes powering the the, the oil rigs with, with wind power and pretending that they're decarbonised because they're not counting the oil. Is this a contradiction? Uh, I mean, yes, I think. I think anyone anyone can see that. Um, I think that a lot of promises uh, around the net zero and the decarbonisation of oil and gas um, really only focus on scope one and scope two emissions. So nothing that's downstream of the rig itself or whatever asset you're on. Um, and it is a contradiction. And I think that most, if not all, I kind of projections that I've seen for continued extraction beyond 2050 that somehow still meet net zero commitments or commitments to stay below 1.5 and our fair share seem to really heavily rely on the use of CCS, which is as yet entirely unproven um, as a technology that has the capability to do that. Um, and I think that they should be very urgently looking to create the alternative energy system that doesn't require unproven technologies. That, um, yeah, and I think that we have the UK government as well with maximum economic um, extract, maximum, maximum economic. Hey, what's MER stand for? I think it was maximum economically feasible extraction or recovery. Maximum economic recovery, yes. Yeah. So you have the UK government with maximum economic recovery um, also committing to getting every last drop of North Sea oil. Um, and until particularly, I mean, the UK government and the Scottish government need to come together and agree on the what the best next steps are because at the moment they are at odds with each other. Um, and you have the North Sea transition deal, which is completely insufficient to do what is needed left out unions from from the process and doesn't even come close to addressing the scale of the issue and the scale of the industrial transition that we need one critique of the just transition is when you mentioned in passing earlier is that there is a risk that we could end up replacing high paid oil jobs with relatively low-paid jobs and renewables. Does that claim really stand up? I think that uh, without... I'd, for me, I don't see a just transition as one that replaces high-paid jobs with low-paid jobs because that is that is a transition, but it's not a just transition. Um, and I think that that is one of the problems with maybe the way that just transition is being used in some industry um industry areas and and by in some people in government um this idea of a just transition it's not just phasing out oil and gas the just transition is about staying within our fair share of 1.5 but it's also about it being led by the people most affected and making sure that they have access to good well-paid secure and safe jobs and so at the moment 
the UK is at risk of phasing out oil and gas jobs and the renewables jobs that at the moment are often not as good because they aren't as well paid and they aren't covered by a lot of the same kind of union protections. But that's not to say that that's not possible. And I think that's kind of, that's what this report is is talking about. It's putting forward really concrete policy suggestions that take us from a position where people who are currently working in oil and gas are able to transition to jobs that they feel satisfied by, that are paid well, that that they feel secure in. At the moment, people don't feel secure in their oil and gas jobs. <clears throat> Pay is going down in oil and gas jobs. I think that like they are much less well paid than they used to be. I think this kind of age of oil and gas workers coming back on shore and spending their millions on cars is is over (laughs) um but yeah i think that if we're going to have a real just transition a lot of those issues do need to be addressed but i don't think that it's insurmountable i think it just needs a government that is committed to it what is the potential for the economy if we get this just transition right i think the potential for the economy is huge at the moment, what we have is a system where oil and gas companies are paying some of the least tax in the world on the oil and gas that they take out of the ground. And therefore, the UK public isn't seeing any of the benefit. We have a very short-term energy excess profits tax, which actually encourages further investment into oil and gas exploration. Um, in order for a kind of relief from that excess profit tax. And if you look at some of the things that are being suggested in the report by workers around public tax, public profit for public good. So it's about, you know, reorganizing the tax system so that we actually are benefiting as a, as a public from the money that is being created by energy and just by the energy industry, Norway which was brought up a lot by workers as a kind of example of a place that has really benefited from the oil and gas that they have in their bit of the North Sea. Um, they've created a sovereign wealth fund that I don't know if this is actually true, but the, the, the thing that always gets touted is that everybody in Norway could stop working for 120 years and their sovereign wealth fund would be able to to, to prop them up for that long. I have I cannot uh, ask, tell you whether that's true or not, but that's the kind of money that we're talking, and that's kind of what people say. That ship has sailed in the UK. We need to be winding down the North Sea for oil and gas, but we can look at that and see that there are huge amounts of benefit to be brought to the UK if we can harness that profit on renewables and put that back into the communities have that so have some of those that energy owned by the communities and have the the benefits from it put back into the communities and supporting them i think that it's clear that the current system isn't working when you have oil and gas companies taking home incredible crazy amounts of profit um you have the ceo of shell taking home millions in bonuses and you have a chancellor who today has had to extend the support scheme for people 
so that they can afford to pay their energy bills. The offshore workers can't pay their energy bills. None of that makes sense. So if the if the suggestions by the workers are actually taken seriously from this report, then the scale of change for the economies could be huge and it could amount to a huge benefit to the people who use the energy and the people who are actually working to get us that energy. If, if I recall one of the headline numbers from the report, the UK earns on earned around $2 in tax per oil barrel because of all the subsidies and tax breaks that it throws out, whereas in Norway it's more like $22. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's the, yeah, the, I mean, the system of subsidies and tax, although I don't think that the UK government recognises them as subsidies. Um, but yeah, the, the system of tax breaks for oil and gas companies is such that, for a lot of years in a row, BP and Shell and Total were paying negative tax in the UK. And it's just like how that just that can't go on in a time when we need to be phasing out oil and gas and we need to be supporting people through that. And this is before we even talk about in Norway, there is that much higher degree of public ownership in these resources. So the the revenue and the profits from from those nationalised companies flow back into the Norwegian economy rather than as here, yeah. shareholders. And I mean, a huge number of both wind and oil and gas assets in the UK North Sea are owned by publicly owned energy companies from other countries. Yeah. Um, so you know, we're contributing to Norway's sovereign wealth fund as well. Yeah. <laughs> what more should governments and the oil companies themselves do to formalise the role of workers in this transition? So in terms of industry, um, there's been a lot of success in other countries around worker representatives on the boards of larger companies. Um, and I think that we could look to government should be mandating that inclusion um, they should also be mandating that every UK listed company has to make just transition plans that actively involve their workforce in transition planning. And that has to go beyond just the standard. We made a plan, we consulted the workers, and then we did it anyway, because that isn't meaningful inclusion of workers. Um, you know, the UK has things like the Green Jobs Del- Delivery Group, which could be really beefed up it could be given a much bigger mandate and we could be putting more worker representation into that for transition planning i think that overall there are there are a a load of things that governments and oil companies could be doing to formalize and those are just a few of them i think there's also a lot that the government could be doing to um to create more working room let's say for unions um i think that you know at the moment we're in an unprecedented series of strikes and that includes um that includes some oil and gas workers offshore but we're also in a period where the government are introducing legislation to try and crack down on the ability of workers to ballot and to strike and to take industrial action and i think that if the government is serious about a transition and is serious about a transition that actually involves workers in planning it, then unions need to have a stronger voice at the table as well. And that, and we need to be 
supporting them not to be undermined by government legislation. We mentioned the obscene level of profits that the, these oil companies have been making during the energy crisis. We've also seen that as a result of those profits, several of them have announced that they are slowing down their their renewable transition plans. They're delaying them um, because why invest in renewables when you can just keep making money? So what must we do to make sure the transition happens at all? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that we need to, we being the climate movement, need to continue that pressure on every new install every new plan that comes out we need to keep the pressure up on government we need to keep the pressure up on industry and make it really unpalatable for continued exploration and for continued extraction uh, but i also think that we need to be working side by side with the workers with the unions with people working on all other aspects of a transition with you know fuel poverty campaigners to make that vision heard and to make it untenable to be ignored i think that if i'm it is a really difficult time because as you said oil and gas companies are, are changing their plans to make less of a less of an effort to transition um at the exact wrong time but i think that my optimistic read is that I think the the tide is turning. I think that more and more people are aware of the issues with oil and gas companies and as they continue to reap massive profits off the back of workers and off the back of the population that pay their energy bills, um, there will come a moment where it's inevitable but I think that we need to keep pushing that so that that moment happens as soon as possible. I always like to say that in politics, everything is impossible till the moment it becomes inevitable. So I think you're right there. It does, it does feel like that. Yeah. Um, I, at times it felt impossible that we would ever get this report out. <laughs> so what's next for this report and for the campaign around it? Uh, well, I am doing a webinar tomorrow um, with Friends of the Earth Scotland um at four o'clock basically talking about kind of the process that we went through with this report and what can happen next and how people might be able to get involved so come to that um I will put a and link then I think, in, the, in the description uh, of the show uh, <laughs> i will yeah i'll send you one afterwards um but yeah i think next is really making sure that this kind of offering from the offshore energy workers and the policy ideas that are so, so well thought through and really well evidenced are embedded into the thinking of the climate movement, of the, the trade union movement, of the political parties that are making manifestos for the inevitable next general election that will happen within the next year and a half. I think it's about making sure that this doesn't just become a report that was produced and then gathers dust. It's something that we really want to be seen as a blueprint for how you look at a transition and how you transition a sector. In many ways, this work hasn't been done before. 
which sounds like I'm congratulating myself. It, it was not just me. Uh, but, you know, this this is a piece of work that hasn't been done before. And I think offers like a, a really interesting new route to a lot of ways to talk about phase out and transition. And I think that the next phase is to just make sure that it has a, a legacy that means something. And also to get workers an offshore training passport so that they can work in renewables and oil and gas, which we've been working on for a while. Well, thank you, Rosemary, for coming on to the show. That's been a, a great chat. Thanks for having me. And I will put a link to that webinar. I'll put a link to platform and I'll put a link to the report all in the description of the show. And I'd just like to finish by reminding folk, as I always do, that Commonweal as an organisation is entirely funded by our donors and supporters who give us an average of about £10 a month. So if you want to help support our policy work, our campaigns and this podcast, then please click the donate button in the description as well. Thank you to my guest. Thank you to everyone out there who's listening and please come back next week. Mm -hmm.